What crazy thing would we have to believe if we wanted to improve the quality of life for 100 million people in 10 years? You know, what insane things would we have to believe? And what we found was some of the biggest drivers of your health outcomes and the quality of your life are those things that we do every single day. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Future of Work Project. My name is Derek Franco, and it is my great pleasure to welcome you to this program dedicated to bringing together smart and thoughtful leaders and innovators experimenting with new and unique ways of working. From remote work and culture to research into the peak performance of human beings, we'll learn alongside these experts pushing the boundaries today. Today's guest is the co-founder and CEO of Future serial entrepreneur Rishi Mendel. Now, Rishi is someone who has such an amazing background that really it reads more like a motivational article. Rishi attended Stanford for undergrad where he majored in applied physics and also spent time working at the SLAC National Accelerator Laboratory. After graduating, he joined Slide, a social startup founded by PayPal co-founder Max Levchin that was acquired by Google in 2010. Post-acquisition, he worked as a senior product manager for Google before co-founding Sosh, a human curation and machine learning platform that was backed by Sequoia Capital, Kosla Ventures, Battery Ventures, and more. Sosh was eventually acquired by Postmates in 2015, where he went on to be the director of product for the growing unicorn. He then moved back into entrepreneurship, becoming the entrepreneur-in-residence at Kosla Ventures before leaving to start his current company, Future. Now, Future is a unique fitness company, unlike any other solution on the market. Using a combination of technology, elite personal trainers, and custom content, they empower their members through a personalized training solution, with trainers personally texting and talking to their clients daily to help them fit their goals into everyday life. Future does this by providing each client with an Apple Watch so vitals and energy levels are able to be monitored and applied by coaches who can then tailor the workouts and nutritional plans more to each individual. During our discussion, Rishi and I look at how Future has focused on helping people manage their health outcomes in today's fast pace and uncertain society. We also take a look at how he and his team have grown from an early stage idea to a company that's raised over $35 million with 150 employees in less than four years. And finally, we take a deep dive into how accountability and feedback loops are key to not only building amazing products, but creating a healthy lifestyle that can help people achieve amazing results. And with that said, it's my great pleasure to welcome Rishi Mendel. Well, Rishi, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. Thanks for having me, Derek. Great to be here, man. Yeah, of course, of course. You know, I'd love to start by, you know, diving into a little bit of your background and, you know, <laughs> especially posing the question, how does an astrophysicist find themselves diving into the world of startups? Yeah, it's a fair question. Um, and, you know, where it really comes from was I was actually born and raised here in the Bay Area, right around San Francisco. And so I grew up uh, during the dot-com boom and, and let's say contraction and, you know, the various <laughs> cycles of all of that, you know, it, there's this impact that it has on you when you're a 10, 12 year old and you see people, you know, you know, my dad started a tech company out of our garage that ended up becoming, you know, a larger company, 
you start to then like take for granted, it becomes ingrained that one can just do that, that you can then just invent things out of thin air. And so my whole childhood was actually building stupid, you know, startups and companies and patenting random ideas. Um, the first job that ever paid me was a quote unquote startup, you know, that I started at, you know, 10 or 12, something like that. Um, and so that was actually in, in, in a way going from academia to tech was actually returning back to my roots in some ways. And so, um, you know, all along getting a degree in physics and really diving deep into astrophysics, I was always doing little side projects and coding tools for myself. And so it actually felt natural, felt like coming back home yep. to, to start to build products <laughs> for people. No, that makes perfect sense. That makes perfect sense. And I, I have to ask the question just because I've worked with a lot of people that were in academia for a long time and, you know, kind of tried to make this transition was it, I guess, originally rough to kind of switch those mindsets? Because one of the things that, you know, a lot of my friends, especially that have, uh, you know, worked in, let's just say, you know, going after their PhD or are focusing on research, the biggest component that they see is, you know, a lot of the time in academia, you have that chance to kind of take a step back and really let the mind kind of flow to try and make these connections. But, you know, you don't really get those opportunities very early on when you're building in a startup. So how was that switch out of curiosity? Yeah, I mean, it, it was definitely whiplash. It was a change of pace for sure. I actually went from academia into a company called Slide, which was, you know, run at the time by Max Levchin and Keith Raboy. They had just built PayPal. And they, you know, their style, which is the style I inherited, is fast and furious. It's, it's, it's a, there's a discipline to it, but it is, um, there's an understanding that, you know, hard work is going to be a component of it. And so th there was a, an absolute phase shift that happened there. But I think, you know, I guess it was, uh, it was just luck that the degree I had and was, you know, working on was physics, which was all about really trying as quickly as you can to try to like, you know, deduce first principles of, of a given problem. And that came in handy. Mm -hmm. And then having come from a background of building stuff and coding things and having side projects, I, it was actually a familiar speed and one that I was seeking. Um, I think if you're unwitting, it can be uh, absolutely a nightmare to go from one to the other. But I was I was seeking that and had some some reps under my belt, um, and then you know it just kind of came in in handy to have the skill set of looking at something. And the first question that pops in your head is, how does this actually fundamentally work before I try to start running? You know, no, that's amazing. That's amazing. And so, you know, you correct me if I'm wrong, but you spent some time over at NASA and then at Google as well, correct? Yeah, that's right. Um, at various points in my career was at NASA. And then, uh, you know, Slide was ultimately acquired by Google, hmm. spent some time there, then eventually left to start another company called Soch that was acquired by Postmates. And then, um, you know, then uh, a couple other things. And, and then now I started this company, Future. So. Um, so, so kind of went from big, very big to small to yep. very big to small <laughs> and kind of made that cycle over and over. No, that's amazing. That's amazing. Especially since you got to kind of see all of these different companies at, you know, different levels. Um, and I think that's actually a perfect segue into uh, future. So, you know, what you guys are doing is absolutely amazing. Um, so would you mind giving a little bit of background, you know, on the company and would really also love to dive into just how you guys originally came up with the idea as well? Yeah, absolutely. So future in a nutshell. You know, what we wanted to build and what we have done is to try to find a way to allow the busiest of people, like truly incredibly busy people, to maintain high performance or healthy living for long periods of time. And so you have to ask yourself, you know, if you're busy as anything, how do you actually sustain these things? And the way that we've found consistently people have done this 
is not by trying to manage all, every aspect of their day-to-day -day health and measuring things and conceiving strategies, but by actually getting other people in their boat with them uh, to help manage that for them. And so, um, so what Future does is we pair you uh, with a world-class coach, a better coach than you could find or afford locally for sure. All of our coaches are very high level. Uh, and then that coach will train you remotely. So they'll build a, a performance, you know, a training plan for you every single week that changes, you know, week to week, day to day based on what's happening in life. We send all of our customers an Apple Watch so that that coach can see if you're actually doing it or not, which is, you know, where a lot of the, the accountability comes to bear. Uh, and then you're, you're, in, you're in touch with your coach over text message. And this is not one of those things where you're sort of passively have a coach available to you. Our coaches are very active, proactively involved in your life. And they are uh, probably the first person you hear from in the morning over text message every day um, with a reminder of what you're supposed to be doing. Yep. <laughs> um, and then there's the follow-ups, uh, you know, about what you did do or didn't do and, and so on. So, so that kind of gives you a shape. It's, it's a, it's a real person you connect with and, and they train you remotely. No, that's amazing. And so I'm curious what I guess is your guys's definition of like this world-class coach. I mean, is it just somebody that you are focusing on has certain credentials or they've worked with certain people in the past? You know, there is uh, basically an evaluation of, of true coaching skill, which has to do with both IQ. Do you understand the core principles this is a very skilled job and you can have a huge impact on people's quality of life. And then there's the EQ side of things, you know, and it doesn't matter how good Rishi's plan is. How do you actually get somebody to stick with it? And what are the tools you have in your tool belt to do that? So we have a rigorous, I mean, very rigorous evaluation criteria. The best way I can sum up what we call world-class coaches are, you know, if you look at our coaches and all of them are um, employees of our company, they're spread across probably 30 states in, in our country. And 85% um, of them come from professional sports or division one college athletics. So these are very, very high level, um, you know, trainers and coaches. 95% um, have a bachelor's degree in exercise science or kinesiology. They're not getting some weekend certification and 60% have a master's degree. So this is truly a population of coaches who were, you know, previously only available to the 1%. Um, but by connecting you digitally, we can really, you know, liberate some constraints here and then connect, you know, normal people with amazing coaches who have this very full tool belt, not only on the IQ, but on the EQ side of how do I really decode, you know, how, how to best help you. No, that makes perfect sense. And I actually love what you were saying. It's not just another fitness app, but it's really focused on kind of keeping people at that high performance. One of the things that I've run into myself in the past is if I ever get to the point where I'm about to burn out, it's usually because I'm not taking care of my fitness because I'm, you know, quote unquote, too busy. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That actually speaks, you know, a lot to, you asked a question about how did we start this company? And I think one of the galvanizing things that happened early on was, you know, my co-founder, Justin and I were thinking about, um, you know, health and we were looking at a lot of different places to try to have an impact. But what we found was that the state of health in America is shockingly poor. Quality of, of life in our country is, is I think unexpectedly poor. 70% of us are obese or overweight. Uh, the majority of us live with chronic conditions and 80% of us are definitely going to die of one of those chronic conditions, heart disease, hypertension, diabetes. These are some of the biggest killers of Americans. I think that the actual thing that caught our attention was that no matter how many smart people we talked to, no matter how many papers we read, I'm an academic by background, no matter how many, you know, uh, optimists we spent time with and providers we, we examined, no matter how many people we talked to, we couldn't find a single person 
who is predicting that these trends will improve. Every single person said, yes, it's 70% of us are obese or avoid today, but that trend is only exacerbating, is monotonically increasing. And that for us was something we just couldn't stop thinking about. And you, know, you ask yourself a question, this was now for us three and a half years ago, what crazy thing would we have to believe if we wanted to improve the quality of life for 100 million people in 10 years? You know, what insane things would we have to believe? And what we found was some of the biggest drivers of your health outcomes and the quality of your life are those things that we do every single day. You know, there's five things you do on a daily basis, how you move, how you eat, how you sleep, how you deal with stress, and then whether or not you take your medications. It turns out that's a big problem in our country too. People are non-compliant with that. So those five things, how you move, eat, sleep, deal with stress, whether or not you take your meds, they are major drivers of your health outcomes. And yet for 99% of Americans, and I mean that truly, all five of those things are completely unmanaged. It's, it's the, the societal norm, the expectation is that every single one of us will reinvent the wheel. We will each try to locate the definition of what does it mean to be active enough? What should I be doing? And then try to hold ourselves accountable to doing that. And the same with food. We are, is, we are meant to decode for ourselves what is healthy eating, find recipes, ingredients lists, do our own meal prep. And this is such an unreasonable expectation, right? And people are overloaded. Modern life is very busy and, and um, disruptive that, you know, that system is, is a failure. 80% of Americans don't exercise enough for it all. You know, the vast majority of us, despite the fact that the majority of us try every single year to pick something up. So, so what we saw was this intriguing thing that one of the biggest drivers were these daily habits. And yet for 99% of us, those are unmanaged. And what we found in looking at that problem was the inverse, was the, for the 1%, the common solution is to have these things be managed by professionals, to build a constellation of experts around you. You'll see this in professional athletes or high-level celebrities or executives who typically employ a personal trainer, a chef to stock their fridge with 12 meals a week and so on and get other people in their boat. And we started to connect A with B. Could we actually provide that kind of coaching, which is fundamentally what that is, to normal people? And could we use technology to bridge that gap? And that, you know, the one thing led to another, and that's where we are today, where we connect you, you know, um, to an elite coach who, who is there for you and, and trains you and keeps you accountable and does all of those things. You know, I'd really love to kind of pull at that thread of the accountability as well, because I think that that's where most people really underestimate themselves when it comes to those healthy choices that you were mentioning. I mean, whether it is diet, whether it is exercise or sleep, that's usually where it falls by the wayside. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think that that's one thing that is very intriguing about the future program is you guys aren't just providing, you know, here's the daily exercises. It's the coaches consistently checking in, making sure they're doing them. And then I know you'd mentioned it before, but you said that, you know, the company usually sends an Apple watch to the client as well. So that way the trainer can actually see, you know, not only are they doing the exercises, but I'm guessing to actually see, you know, how their body was responding to them as well. You got it. Yeah. So there's a, there's a broader picture there. You know, one of the things that we found is by managing your fitness and doing a remarkable job at it, you know, and, and by remarkable, we are just incredibly high touched. You asked about uh, accountability. I'll talk about it in a second, but by managing one aspect of your health, one of the things that we see happen consistently is you fall into the, the, um, the habit of talking to us every single day. Either you're making excuses about what you did do, you didn't do, we're, you know, we're, or we're talking about some analysis of what you have done, or we're talking about you know, the things coming up in life and how we can work around them. 
And so because we build that familiarity with you and that bridge with you, um, it is very common. 95% of our customers end up texting their coach asking for help with how they're eating. 55% volunteer to their coach. And we're not asking them, but 55% volunteer to their coach that they're not sleeping enough and want help with that. And 45% volunteer that they're feeling stress, depression, or anxiety. And this points to exactly what you're talking about, which is over time. And we, we do our best to, to guide people to resources and to, to help them handle those things. But over time, there is this opportunity to actually start to manage more and more aspects of your health. To come back to accountability, because that is, in, in, I think, in a nutshell, one of the most unique things that Future offers that is truly absent in most of the fitness world. You know, when we, when we found, going back to that story of how we started the company, when we found that basically everyone who can afford it opts for coaching, and most people can't afford it. Because if you want a personal trainer, it'll cost you $100 an hour, and, um, you know, plus or minus. And if you want to see that person a few times a week, that'll end up costing you $20,000 a year. I mean, it adds Exactly. Up. And especially with today's times, it's not exactly like you can go and see them every day at the gym right now. Well, certainly <laughs> now. Yeah. It's a real, it's a real heavy lift. And so, um, so what we found, we were like, you know, everyone seems to opt for coaching when they can afford it. Why? Like, why is coaching so helpful? And if you think about a personal trainer and you think about a high quality one who you can see often, there's basically three gifts that person can give you. Number one, they can, you know, bring to bear their expertise and tell you exactly what to do. So no matter the circumstance, you never have to think about it ever again. And if you can really get that constancy, you know, that like high touch on the daily basis, if you can get an actual expert, a world-class expert, then you truly never have to make the calculus of what should I be doing? You can just communicate your constraints. I'm feeling lazy today, or my meeting ran late, or I injured my toe, or I'm traveling, whatever. And they will return to you a simple set of instructions. It's a real gift because now you can focus on other things. The second thing that a coach does, you know, so they can tell you what to do. The second thing is they keep you accountable to doing it in a very acute way. And if you think about all the other methods of accountability, you think about things like community, which are wonderful, but usually pretty diffuse. Um, it's really, uh, community is really wonderful when you're succeeding. It's, it's actually very energizing to high five or virtually high five, you know, the rest of the group. But when you start to fail um, or encounter that blip and you start to, you know, feel feel a little bit lazy or ashamed or fat, you know, or, and those, that vulnerability comes to, to the fore, it's actually much easier to recede from a group than it is to be vulnerable to one. Um, and there's, you know, self-motivation, which works for a lot of us at three or six months at a time. Uh, but what we're, what we're seeking is a system that can allow you to maintain healthy behaviors or, or high performance for three or six years at a time, 10 years at a time. Uh, so the one-to-one -one accountability of a person is very acute. You feel that on the other end. Um, and then the third thing that a coach does for you, they tell you what to do, they keep you accountable. The third thing, and this is, I think, where future actually, this third thing is where future takes a, a big kind of left turn from everything else we've seen in fitness, is when you go watch real people in the real world with their coaches, they spend a lot of time talking about life, the vacations they're taking, or I hate my boss, or, you know, whatever, like chit chat comes up talking about your sports team that you like. And most rational people look at that. And when they want to digitize, you know, a fitness experience, they say, well, this seems superfluous. I want to cut this out. I'm going to just deliver the, the performance plan part to you. And what we found was actually, and we hypothesized and have found over time, that actually that relationship piece is important. That as you get to know your coach and they remember things about you and you have an inside joke or whatever, as you build that relationship, it allows them to push you harder, serve you better, anticipate your needs or your hurdles, you know, proactively. And so long way around, what a coach does for you is they tell you what to do, they keep you accountable, and they get to know you. 
And that was the fundamentals that we identified. And then our hypothesis was maybe they don't actually have to be standing next to you all the time in order to do those things. And, and that's how we ended up kind of getting to, to where we are today. No, that's amazing. That's amazing. And, you know, there's one thing that you touched on there that I think would be a perfect segue into, I mean, really just kind of the craziness that, you know, 2020 and, you know, the pandemic has kind of brought us into, which is, you know, this idea of really the social aspect that you guys identified. Um, I think, you know, people have run into it more and more throughout this last year of realizing how hard it is when you don't have that social scenario, when you're isolated from other people. And so, you know, it seemed like you guys might have been perfectly positioned as this whole kind of pandemic came into play. And I'm wondering if we could touch on that as well. Um, You know, specifically the idea of kind of one's mental health, especially when they have not only the accountability and someone that cares about them there, but that social aspect that just didn't disappear. Yeah, you got it exactly right. And the mind-blowing thing that we've seen that just continues to astound us and continues to scale as we've grown is that our average customer trades four text messages every single day with their coach, seven days a week. And just think about the number of people, even when the world is open, that you're talking to four times a day, every single day. It's not a lot of people. Yeah, correct. And so, you know, at first, you know, like I said, those conversations are really about your fitness, but over time, they become much broader. The variety of topics that people started to talk about with their coach started to increase. And it actually became less and less about linearly your fitness and more and more about, hey, by the way, I don't know who else to turn to about this, but I'm having this other issue or by, you know, this thing happened at work and I'm celebrating it. And we've gotten this just breadth of familiarity with people. Frankly, people were using future that way even before uh, because it's a safe space. You know, you have a lot of spaces where you do interact with people, but there's a lot of expectations. And with future, you've actually hired this person to help you. Um, And so they're really, the question they're asking you every day is, what can I do for you? You know, how can I help? Which is a really nice thing to have in your life. No, that makes perfect sense. And I, I would really actually love to ask, I guess, what did your team do? Because correct me if I'm wrong, uh, you guys had an office in San Francisco prior to the pandemic. I guess, what are you guys thinking about, you know, the future as kind of times return to normal? Are you thinking, you know, you're going to be bringing people back to the office? Is it going to be a little more spread out to kind of go along that, you know, flexible system? Um, you know, I'm just really curious on what you guys have talked about so far. Yeah, I mean, we are thinking about mixed modalities, so uh, that there will be these opportunities to to be together and then work independently, and and that those will flex. So yeah, to to give you a picture, this has been a very interesting year for us because our product has resonated, you know, uh, resoundingly with uh, the the current situation, and I think there was a latent demand for something you know like it that was very high touch. And so we went from being, we actually had um, one primary office in San Francisco and one uh, smaller in Chicago. So we were in two cities um, and we grew, you know, then, you know, probably 2X in terms of the company size. We're over 130 people today across 30 states, I think. That's amazing. And, um, and so we've had to adapt rapidly, but we do imagine to your question about, you know, the future that um, both our, our teammates, our clientele, frankly, uh, will naturally, uh, you know, concentrate into certain places. And so that we will have these physical footprints that will offer, you know, most of our team, these mixed modalities that, you know, you see these hoteling concepts or, or things like, you know, three days at home, two days in the office. Mm -hmm. And those days are actually maximally used in terms of interaction and, and um, uh, collisions with, with other people. Um, and then you can do deep work elsewhere. And so, so something like that feels um, inevitable. But I, I will tell you one thing, which is 
I've underestimated the the pandemic at every turn, <laughs> at every place where you could make a a, a guess of where things would go. Yeah. I, I was guessing the wrong direction. So I also know that uh, there's a big wait and see, but I think all of us suspect that going wholesale back to where we were is probably not necessarily you know the outcome that we predict to, to happen. That makes perfect sense. And there's there's two routes I could go here, and I think I may come back to the second one, but. One of the things that you mentioned is, you know, you guys had been, I mean, just growing very rapidly over the last two years. And, you know, so, I mean, just for context for the listeners, you know, you guys were founded in 2017 and just under three years later, you guys are at, you know, a little over, I believe, 80 employees now. No, coming up on 150. Wow. So, <laughs> so I mean, I mean, that's just absolutely amazing. And, you know, one question I would have is, I guess, how have you been able to manage such rapid growth? especially going through something as crazy as we did in 2020. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm a big believer in trying to build your company in phases and stages and not trying to boil the ocean. And so in each kind of phase of our company, and these phases are, are, are they're blurry. They're, there's not a clean, you know, we were in phase 1A and now we're in phase 2A. <laughs> um, there's, there's some blurriness to them. But what we try to do uh, especially, you know, Justin and I as founders is to kind of give to our team. If we solve this one fundamental question about our company in the next 10, 12, 18 months, we will have had a good, you know, year. And so in that, and by sizing things down, we are really focusing on moving one primary thing, metric or um, uh, one interaction we're trying to really, um, you know, solve for. And that has allowed us through all of the chaos to really orient everybody in, in a direction and people can then make a, a call, you know, on the margins of are they doing the right thing? Are they allocating their, their time the right way? So to kind of be a, a little more specific, in the first phase of our company, the question was, could we take a coach who is so skilled and coaches you in person and does all the little things, which we didn't even know what all the little things were, to make you successful? Could we make them successful when they're not standing anywhere near you? And we spent a whole period of time building a rich tool set for a coach to be able to get enough signal back, communicate enough richness to a client who they will never meet in space to try to actually train and, and, and you know, coach at the highest level. And it took us actually quite a long time to, to build for that. And we were constantly testing for that. Once we felt like we had seen to our satisfaction that was the case, then the question was, okay, great. We can coach remotely. Do we see people stick with future at an anomalously high rate compared to every other fitness service that exists. And we just spent a lot of time just focusing on that retention as you know, we had several specific definitions, leading indicators and lagging indicators. And we just iterated and we didn't, we were not looking at say growth or what did our website look like or our social media channels like, and it takes a lot of discipline because you want to be a perfectionist and you want to tell your friends, what am I, what am I doing? And it just, none of it mattered. What we needed to do is see large enough populations of people use our product and have insanely high success rates at the end of three months, six months. And we just spent a lot of time on that problem. Once we felt like that was the case, then we moved on to, can we do this efficiently as a company? Can we build a durable you know, business here? And we set some new benchmarks for that. And that's what we spent our time iterating on. And now you know, the phase of the company that we're in is really just, can we scale this up? And the question is really specific. It's, you know, can we 10 and then 100X you know, are the scale we're at and, and improve our customer experience? And in 2020, we like, you know, saw a huge increase in scale 
and our NPS rose, you know, and that was what kind of like a, a, a marker for some of that. No, that makes perfect sense. And I think you said it perfectly. I mean, I think one of the patterns that I've noticed in a lot of very successful founders is they understand that nothing is ever going to be perfect. You know, you just have to keep adapting and growing. How have you guys been able to manage that when realistically you kind of had to rebuild your systems from a in-office to a remote standpoint to, you know, like you said before, two cities to potentially, you know, X amount? Um, I guess, were there any real growing pains or any learnings that you had as you were uh, managing this process? Yeah, I would say, you know, it's cliche, but the team you build is the company you build. And, um, you know, what we really focused on doing was um, convincing our absolutely smartest friends to come and work with us on this. You know, if we wrote down a list of who are the five smartest people we know, um, we made a run at, you know, all five of them yeah. <laughs> each, you know, whoever that team was. And once we had people who, um, were not just smart, but had seen some things, a variety of problems and had different perspectives. Um, then we had a lot of trust that they were going to go out and, and, and their teams would make that same list of the most talented people I know. And, and it would cascade. And we really have seen that. Uh, we also, you know, had been through the process, you know, for Justin, it was through Apple and Airbnb for myself through, you know, Google and slide and Soch and Postmates, you know, having seen company scale and looking for, what matters. It's just really hard to decouple that when you're in the fog of, you know, growth, let's say, because you think everything matters and you criticize every little thing. But ultimately, you have to keep asking yourself the question of like, is this a one way door? Or can we go and fix this later? And there's a lot of little things that you can do to help you yourself understand, like, I only need to worry about a subset of these things. And I need to just make decisions on the rest of these things. And I can go back and gather data and make a different decision if I have to. Um, and so it just sizes down what you worry about. And it just it really focuses you on people and teaching your people to find good people. And that's really one of the highest order things you can do. Um, and actually, you know, you talk about going from wherever to 150 people, um, we re we've really largely done that in the last year and a half. Our product wasn't publicly available until about a year and a half ago. And so everything has really happened in that period of time. We were quite small, you know, until we really saw the thing work and then really started to scale it. In that period of time, that, that's how we've approached it. And every single new person who comes in knows, here's the one thing we're trying to accomplish in this phase. Now go forth and be productive on that. Uh, that's a good enough barometer that they're going to probably do the right thing if we can get that message across. No, that makes perfect sense. That makes perfect sense. And so this is going or taking a little bit of a step back, um, but this is kind of the other thing that I could have pulled on. And I'm just really curious. So, you know, you are still currently in San Francisco right now. And it's just, I mean, it's almost like a running joke on Twitter at this point where it seems like everybody is just kind of heading out of the Bay Area. Um, and especially on the VC side, it seems like every single one of them is heading to Miami right now. <laughs> I'm just curious on what you foresee for San Francisco for the next, or I guess San Francisco and the rest of the Bay, maybe over the next, you know, let's just say 12 to 24 months. Um, I guess, yeah, what are your thoughts on, you know, what's really been happening? Yeah. And I would say my thoughts are colored by seeing the dot-com bust in the nineties, by seeing a contraction in 2008, by seeing, you know, this current wave and, you know, like I said, I'm not really good at prognosticating and knowing yeah. exactly where things are going. <laughs> the, the pandemic being a prime example of how I have no idea where the world is going. Um, but my 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 read on things, you know, being here in San Francisco, is that this presents a really interesting opportunity for the Bay Area because there's not actually a lack of talented people here. 
Um, if you're building a company, it's not like you're hard pressed to find 150 amazing people to go and work with here. Luckily, you don't even have to necessarily do that, but maybe your initial you know, group um, is probably natural to look for the people around you. Um, the opportunity is, I think, for the Bay Area to, to diversify. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I've been in San Francisco proper for about 13, 14 years now. Um, and I would say that the city actually looks and feels quite different today than it did 14 years ago. Um, and in, in one specific way, which is it's less diverse in occupations, in, um, in just culture and the amount of people that are, or not even that, just the, the companies that are there, the people that are working there. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Who can afford to, frankly. And I think, you know, uh, there's been tons of research. A lot of us subjectively feel this, see this, which is a more diverse team at your company, a more diverse board at your company actually leads to truly better outcomes not like feel good outcomes, but truly more enterprise value, um, more productivity, um, people working on the right problems. And I think that's the opportunity here is that as people do leave, I do see the U-Haul trucks, I see rents dropping and I see, and I hope for the uh, young people to be able to move into San Francisco proper, which they'd suddenly gotten priced out of for other types of people who don't work in tech necessarily and say finance to actually get a great place in San Francisco and, and remember you know, why it's such a physically beautiful place and to go for, you know, get some of that outdoors and hiking and the great weather mixed with a diverse group of people. So I think that's the opportunity. Frankly, I actually sense some of that happening at a small level, um, but I think it's actually net a good thing. And then think about a company like ours that's based here and whatever that means today, we are hiring talented people all over the country. It actually benefits us as well for there to be support systems in other cities where there are talented people drawing on other universities. And there will it'll take a whatever a cycle looks like for those educational institutions and the large companies that are entrenched there to start to orient their talent pool to start to feed into some of this stuff. But as that happens, we will be as competitive in all those markets and hiring great people <laughs> as companies who are physically there. So um, so I think it actually is a net benefit. And I do, I do, um, I do feel like um, there will be this, this, this people have been holding their breath for great companies are going to get started outside of the Bay Area. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And, and you see maybe a couple other metros where it absolutely happens. Um, but hopefully, hopefully it actually starts to get distributed so we can hire great people in those places. And there's no shortage of people to bump into here. No, for sure. For sure. And I think you put it perfectly where it's a net benefit for everybody. Um, I mean, if anybody had been in San Francisco, you know, let's just say 10 years ago versus, you know, the last three or four years, there was a big difference in not only the energy that was there, but really just the culture. I mean, it just felt very corporate the last two or three years, you know, walking around downtown San Francisco. And yeah, I, I think you hit a great point, which is not only do the cities around the U.S. benefit from, you know, talent being able to work from anywhere, but the Bay Area gets to kind of reset and really go back to the things that made it great, which was everybody just having ideas, working on different things. And yeah. I mean, just like you said, people can call it a Detroit moment that's coming up. But if you've ever been to San Francisco, it's never going to be a Detroit. I mean, it is too beautiful that no matter what, people will flock there at some point. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It's it's a physically beautiful place, and I think the just the the number of people who have put down roots here, who are intelligent and talented, and have seen things, are, is too many, you know. And so I think there's there's actually a really good um, base of talent here, 
And, you know, I think, you know, the tech industry needs to learn to be a better neighbor. You know, our munis, our governments have an opportunity to, to, to take a look at, uh, you know, at, at all of these problems in a new way. And like, you know, we already talked about um, the diversity. I remember someone asking me, you know, what's the difference between starting a company in San Francisco and New York? And I said, you know, the interesting thing about San Francisco, and this is a real experience, is, you know, I would meet people who are not in tech who were also were um, convinced they were going to change the world. And I had a friend, a friend of mine, you know, I don't see him that often, but he's a friend of mine, uh, started, a, you know, a restaurant that served Middle Eastern cuisine. And he really truly believed if we get this right, we'll build the Chipotle for Middle Eastern cuisine. We can take it everywhere. It's a sustainable model that we can, you know, really, you know, scale up. And so he was set on changing the world in terms of cuisine and someone else was set on changing the world in terms of, you know, bits and, you know, bites. And, and, and I think that, that energy when like the person who's selling you a falafel feels like truly they're going to, they're going to make it happen. That's cool. And that's, you know, there's, there's less of that when everybody, you know, can only afford to, to be here if they can uh, work on a certain type of thing. No, 100%, 100%. And me and my wife, actually, well, I spent about five years in Los Angeles too, going back and forth between LA and San Francisco. And yeah, I mean, there, there's something about being around people that are just building stuff and are excited about building something. It just gives you just energy and motivation that I swear you can just feel it and draw it from the energy. So yeah, I think that's something that'll definitely continue to go. Um, and, you know, one question that I, I love to ask, and especially, you know, since you are in really the fitness space, you know, you guys are really helping people on their fitness side. What is one thing that you think is stopping most people from doing their best work in today's society? You know, my answer is going to be highly colored by my experience. And what I found has been the, the biggest point of leverage for me was bringing support systems and accountability into my life. And I'll give you a good example. For the longest period of time, I wanted to read books, mm. but building a company, you can get lost in the problem of building a company forever. So my solve, this was kind of organic, so before I started Future, um, I started a book club. And what would happen was we'd be meeting on a certain you know day of the month. I would read the book in three days before that. I would like panic read it, right? But I would read it. And then we'd have a great discussion. And, um, and then that would happen 12 times a year. And I would read at least 12 books. Okay, that's a start. Then uh, I wanted to learn chess and I was making it nowhere. So I hired a guy and we do a Zoom thing. And every Wednesday we have a Zoom session and I don't do my homeworks until Tuesday. It's just, you know, the fact of life. Tuesday night, I do them, you know, after work, after working out, after putting the kids to bed. I'm like, I can't show up on a call with this guy. He's like, you know, he's got a great <laughs> ranking. And um and had not have done the like thoughtful stuff he designed for me. And so, you know, on and on, you know, if you can get folks in your life or, or systems in your life that help um, to drive some accountability, to do some of the, the, the work for you. Uh, I talked to a really smart person who said the way he thinks about people in modern life is what he calls the juggling act. And imagine someone physically juggling five balls in the air, which is actually a complicated task, especially for any normal person. It takes your undivided attention. You have to literally be looking up at these balls to, to, to juggle five balls. Now, any little thing that is gonna take your attention away from that stuff, even if you have to look away just for 20 seconds, something's gonna drop. And that's actually how tenuous things are for people in this day and age. You know, They've got a job or two, they have social obligations, they have a family or a partner, or they're dating, they have bills to pay. 
you know, they want some downtime. There are so many things, yep. the five <laughs> we just named there, that they're juggling that um, to say, just scroll through this list of a hundred classes and find the one. Do you want to do the booty burn or the ab finish? It's not going to happen. <laughs> right. It's a point of, it's enough friction. It seems trivial, but it's enough friction to just throw off, you know, the repeatability of that. And, and then when we're asked to do the same uh, with our learning, with our reading, with our hobbies, with our, you know, anything, our just core needs, having to eat something. Um, so I think reducing decision fatigue by getting others to help you make decisions for you, keep you accountable, um, compartmentalizing when you're going to make that decision. That kind of stuff is what I think has ultimately allowed me to in this year, have two kids, have a company that's going fully remote and growing like crazy, dealing with a pandemic and a recession, I think it's hard to tell. Um, it was systems of accountability kind of, you know, really forcing functions for decisions. No, that makes perfect sense. That makes perfect sense. The most successful are able to do that. You know, they're able to actually get those accountability factors built in and just be able to focus the mind when it needs it. And so, you know, really one last question that I have is, you know, you kind of mentioned this as well, where, you know, you were going to different topics or different things that you really wanted to focus on. Is there any topic or anything in particular that's piqued your interest lately? Um, or I guess anything that, you know, you've kind of gone down the rabbit hole over the last couple of months that, you know, even if it's the most random thing in the world. Uh, anyone who knows me knows that I'm full of these. So, you know, um, I, I'm pretty much defined by my curiosity. And so I, I go to depth on a lot of things. I would say most recently galvanized by, you know, the events of our, in our country yeah. this summer, um, where we really had to start to ask ourselves more questions around, you know, how ingrained racism is in our country. Where does that come from? Mm -hmm. Starting to understand contemporary stories, but then the history really refreshed, you know, and gave me a new purpose in diving into history. I read a lot about history, but it gave me a new purpose in diving into it. I didn't have a full picture of, of our country's history. And when you do get a full picture, you start to realize how, um, how complicated and ingrained these things are. Maybe, you know, somewhat uncomplicated, pretty straightforward yeah. and sad they are, um, but how, how ingrained they are. Um, so yeah, my, my latest, uh, I now have an endless backlog because there's, you know, hundreds of years here of our country to, to read about. Um, but that, that's been something I've been spending a lot of time on and thinking about the civil war and all of the, you know, just, uh, the events that played out after the Jim Crow laws and, and just trying to understand how we ended up where we, where we are has been something that I've, I've continued to pull the thread on here. We, I don't know, six, seven months later, there's just a lot there. And, you know, I've put those systems into place, like I said, where, you know, I can read a book a week now. So it gives me a lot of surface area to, try to, you know, get into some of these, these questions and, and um, topics. No, that's, that's amazing. That's amazing. I think that's one thing that's very important for people is being able to just go after those curiosities. I mean, it, it keeps you sane when you're going down the rabbit hole of building a company. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's right. And if people wanted to learn more uh, about future or, you know, wanted to actually um, get in contact with you, where would be a good spot to go? Yeah. I mean, future.co, that's our website, you know, come check it out. And if you're busy, and you're looking for a way to sustain high performance, healthy living, there's nothing like it to have a real human just manage it for you. Um, and then I'm, you know, on Twitter, I'm at rmandel. You search Rishi Mandel, you'll find me. Perfect, perfect. Well, I'll put both of those links in the show notes as well. But uh, Rishi, thank you so much for taking the time. And uh, yeah, I, I look forward to our next conversation. Likewise. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. 
Thanks everyone for listening to this episode of the Future of Work Project. Now, as with all of our work, this is part of our ongoing research on the future of work topic, and we'd love to get your thoughts on the discussion. To reach out, go to our website at fowproject.com or reach out on Instagram at the FOW Project. We'll be sure to share the feedback, and it could be featured on an upcoming episode. And with that said, thank you for listening.